This is John. This is Blix. And this is Trav. Welcome to the TriTag Games Podcast, your podcast of exploring the strange worlds of TriTag Games and all the other worlds that you might want to adventure in. This week, we're continuing our exploration of different kinds of calamities that can occur to your characters and adventures that can be built around these things. We've already done Quite a few things already, and this week we're going to be concentrating on primarily water. Now, we've already talked about how different things can happen simultaneously in a calamity. So we've talked about a little bit about, you know, uh, an asteroid strike, things like earthquakes. All these things can do one thing in particular, which we're interested in, and that is they can move a lot of water. Water, when it moves, is a very powerful force because water is a very heavy material. Water weighs 62 pounds per cubic foot, which means that if you have a living room that's 20 by 15, then you're carrying approximately 18,000 pounds of extra water that your structure, the building you're in, was never designed to do. You might very well find yourself a couple floors down because your floor is going to disintegrate. It's going to break and shatter, possibly dragging you down with it because as water being such a heavy substance also has the ability to push you along as it moves. Floods are what we usually call this kind of behavior. Floods can result from too much rain. They can result from a weather condition like a hurricane that has something called a storm surge where warm water rises as almost a mass of water higher than the surrounding water. And then as the storm flows onto land, that water at a higher level flows also onto land as well. It can be the result of a dam breaking. It can be the result of a sudden break in water lines. It could even be the result of some kind of supernatural effect where a big burst of water appears out of nowhere and just comes flowing through, you know, possibly a rift in time and space to an ocean in another world. And suddenly you have this gigantic spigot of water flowing into your area and causing all kinds of havoc. Or just a badly miscast spell to make water. <laughs> right. Just keeps on making it. Right. Well, that's the, uh, what is it, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, yes. Yeah. The Sorcerer's Apprentice idea where that they just keep bringing more and more water and it just keeps filling higher and higher. And there's a, a couple of uh, movies that use that as a trope where you're in, the, for example, the shower, and for some reason the shower won't open and it's, it's waterproof and it just starts filling up higher and higher and higher. And even if you don't drown, if it eventually breaks, then suddenly here you are roaring across the room being dragged over the broken shards of glass that made up the shower before, smashing down onto the floor, perhaps even through the bathroom door and out into another room, and possibly down the stairs. 
<laughs> so a lot of the damage that water does is actually incidental to water itself because water is usually considered to be a fairly friendly substance. It doesn't hurt us when it touches us normally. And usually if we're falling, we want to fall into water because it's softer than land unless you're traveling too fast. And that's because water being a liquid has no shear rating. If it can splash out of the way, it's as if it isn't there. And that's what slows you down when you fall in the water. Yeah. Things like dirt, they can't break apart very easily. And so they end up compressing under you and causing reverse force, which causes the damage to your body. Water is not compressible. So when you, if you hit water at terminal velocity, it's like hitting concrete, more or less. Yeah. Right. Yes. If you're more than a couple hundred feet up, you're better off landing on ground. You might land on something softer, like a building. Almost anything's going to be better than something solid like water. So where floods happen are where you have water, an uncharacteristic large amount of water occurring from a rainfall, for example, a sudden storm out in the desert. Now, land, in general, absorbs water. The two times that land does not absorb water very well is in the early spring and also in the middle of the summer. The dryness of the land acts as a barrier against the water in the middle of summer. Until it starts absorbing some water, it won't pull the rest of the water in. And in the early spring, because of the amount of rainfall that usually occurs then, the ground is usually already saturated. So what happens a lot of times is you have this nice rainfall and everyone's happy and everything's working because it's raining and the water is being absorbed by the land and it's being or it's being going into the drains and it's flowing onto the river and it's going downstream and everything's great until the water table fills up. At which point, suddenly, that water can't go anywhere. And as John said, it's an incompressible substance which means that it can't be compressed, it can't build up, you can't like shove it more and more into a container, into a reservoir. Once it's over the top, it's over. And so suddenly all this water that's been coming down is now building up as rapidly as it's coming down. If you're getting an inch an hour, you're gonna get 12, a foot of water in, in half a day, two feet in two days. That's assuming of course that it flows evenly and the water lays evenly. What usually happens is, is that there's this thing called a grade, and the higher areas which collect water will transfer their water down to the lower areas. So now, instead of it going up an inch an hour, maybe it's going up a foot an hour and more. Uh, in Bureau 13, I created an adventure called Rain, Rain, Go Away, where it was raining literally an inch an hour. And within a couple of days, it was more than flooded in Pittsburgh, which is where it took place. The, the rivers were filling up so much because it was collecting all the water from all the surrounding area of half a state or more. And it was all flowing down the two rivers, that, uh, the Allegheny and Monongahela, which form the Ohio at Pittsburgh. All of the, the bridges were being covered over with water. And the people who were the, uh, the Bureau 13 team that was trying to figure out what was going on and how to try to stop it found themselves in a really dire situation about being able to move around from one place to another in Pittsburgh because they couldn't fly. There was too much water coming down. If they tried to take a boat, they would have been swept downriver in a moment. So they had to come up with some rather interesting solutions in order to get from place to place. These days, of course, you might probably just have somebody who had the power of teleportation and just jump from one place to another, but 
back then we had a, a fairly low powered game and so you had to use other solutions. Water therefore becomes a very potent force. Something that you can't ignore or if you do, suddenly it fi you find you can't ignore it and bad things will happen to you. One of the things about water is, is that it's, it's insidious, like fire. Fire is pops up everywhere and in places you never expected. It can travel behind walls. Any place that you know it, it can work through and it has combustible substances, it'll do that. Water isn't quite that way because it doesn't combust with anything. It doesn't really react with anything in the quantities we're talking about. But it can, because it's a liquid and because you know, it therefore can flow through almost any opening. And because it's heavy, it can force its way through some openings that normally air and fire might not be able to get through. It also will flow under the ground through the very sewer systems. Once they fill up, suddenly you've got water gushing out all over the place when before it was dry as a bone. And you have a sudden eruption of a threat that wasn't necessarily there before. A lot of buildings use water as a form of protecting them against winds and things like that. They, they are used for balancing large buildings. Usually up on the top floors, they'll have a huge water tank that moves backwards and forwards on uh, some device like rollers or slides. It, what it does is it counteracts the push and pull of the wind against such a large building. If that water tank should burst, then that water is going to start pouring down through the building. Hopefully they have some plan to flush it outside the building, but if it doesn't, that much water will just start bursting through the floor and just falling through the building, just smashing it open. And if the building has some already hyper-stressed structural members because of something like a fire or an earthquake or anything else, that can easily turn the tide and cause a complete collapse of the building. Again, water, because of its movement, can introduce a new situation to the, an existing, already tenuous or hazardous situation of buildings and structures around you and destabilize them and send them into chaos. So the kinds of damage caused by water. Well, there's damage by weight. As I said, water's heavy. You get hit with a couple of tons of water, it'll knock you out and it will drag you off. If you get hit with that, just one gallon is just going to, okay, fine, I, I got hit with a gallon. It probably smacked you. It probably startled you. It's no big deal. But quantities we're talking about, even a small fish tank is going to have about 100 gallons in it. So what I'm saying is that the kind of quantities we're talking about is a huge amount of weight. And it's going to smack you like a, like a battering ram, like someone dropped a 100-pound sack of corn on your head. Water can damage many things just by the fact that it's moving. And it can build up momentum just like anything else. So water running down a hill and then slamming into a building is going to have a lot more damaging force than just a pool of water around that building. Our listeners have ever seen films of the old Watts riots, I believe, from the 60s, or even, I think, the Detroit riots or down south. They used fire hoses for crowd control because the people would be coming at them, and you get hit with water coming out. It's water, but it will still knock you on your butt because of the mass and the force coming through the fire hose due to pressure. So, yeah, water can cause damage to you, at least, you know, knock the wind out of you right. if it's hitting you hard enough and fast enough. There's a reason why they put about six guys on a fire hose to control it when they're at a fire. 
that water has great deal force. Oh, and that's when they say, even though there may be six inches of water going across the road, don't go across that road because that six inches of water is how many pounds? How many pounds per square per square foot again? That's enough to to bowl over people's if if it's moving fast enough. If you think about how much weight that is, the inertia to move it or to get it to change its inertia is pretty high. So uh, when water starts moving in a, in a direction, it's, it's it's really dense. Matter of fact, they use water to absorb radiation in most cases because of its density and its, its ability to 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 oh, resist and, change. And they use it for the, when they launch uh, rockets. They actually use water as sound dampening to at least to, to at least pr- protect the launch equipment from the the sound of the launch. Right. I was gonna say water is a great absorber of everything. It absorbs radiation. It absorbs heat. It can hold heat for long periods of time. It dissolves lots of things too. One of the things that water can do is it also can damage you by carrying along other substances that are damaging. First, chemicals. If that water just ran through an alkali pit, or if that water just ran through some chemical plant, then you might have a wall of sulfuric pouring at you that'll literally eat the flesh off your bones. The movie Dante's Inferno, though the most Vulcanists may not like it, they have a scene where sulfuric gas mixes with the water of a lake and turns it into sulfuric acid. And as they're trying to cross it in a boat, the boat itself is being eaten away. Also, it has a tendency to carry along nasty stuff. Because that all that weight and power, it can carry along pieces of bricks and boards with nails sticking out of them and all kinds of stuff and, and huge amounts of mud and just slam into you and just hurt you just by that fact alone before it carries you along and buries you under a mass of it as and then it flows on leaving you, well, dry but now buried under a mass of material you couldn't possibly move off of you without help. Yeah, we mentioned that with about lahars, which were basically mud flows, special kind of mud flows from volcanoes. But they're mud flows, and as Bruce points out, they're floods as well. And when they dry, they dry as hard as concrete. You can't breathe in it, so you know if you get caught up in it and you're stuck in it for any period of time, you're likely to suffocate, or drown rather, not suffocate. Uh, that was my number three one. I'm sorry, number four, damaged by sealing off oxygen. Water's not your friend when it gets over your head. Water washes over sewage plants and, and there's the big basins where, you know, like on pork farms, where they have these big basins full of manure and such. And this stuff is, is concentrated and it's highly toxic. And infectious. And infectious and takes it with it. So now you're in the water with all that infectious material or, or petroleum as it, as it rolls through gas stations and tears up gas pumps. It can carry substances on top of it floating around, contaminating other areas. And then as the water draws off, you've now got all these places that are that are now coated with gasoline and oil, just ripe for uh, a fire to break out and really get to t- go to town. Getting petroleum in your eyes and, and all over your skin is not, not too good for you either. If you should be unlucky enough, or lucky enough as you might initially think, to find yourself someplace where there is a pocket of air, a large pocket of air that you can survive for an extended period of time, water can then cause more problems because as the water builds up around that area, rising above it, the pocket of air will shrink because the water will compress the oxygen or the, the air you know, until it has the same amount of pressure. Now, the good thing is compressed air has just as much oxygen as the uncompressed air did. So you can keep breathing it. It's fine. 
But if that water should suddenly be diverted and drained away very rapidly, then all of the excess amount of dissolved gases that are now in your bloodstream will suddenly turn into bubbles, which will cause you enormous amounts of pain and suffering and even death. It's called the BEMS. Mm-hmm. Nitrogen narcosis, yes. Nitrogen narcosis, which is where certain materials that, that are normally inert, that dissolve in your bloodstream, become toxic after a certain amount of concentration. Nitrogen narcosis is an example of that. The nitrogen in our air that we consider inert, that air will become toxic to you even though there's plenty of air. Just the pressure alone caused by the weight of the water on that bubble of air that you're in will actually cause you to become sick and even die. Would you even be able to breathe? I mean, okay, you put that much pressure on, that means that much pressure is probably pushing on your chest. No, you're in a bubble of air, so there's the same pressure outside of you as inside of you. So there's no problem with you breathing. Yeah, because you were in it when that was created. Right. Yeah, because the air pressure is being created by that water that you're in. It suddenly gets released, then you're going to have the bends. If it doesn't suddenly release, then you could possibly suffer from nitrogen narcosis. There are very few gases that will not become toxic to you that are under enough pressure. Even helium, under enormous pressures that probably would not occur in the case of a flood, can become toxic to you. The other thing that water does is it causes other systems to fail. Water shorts electricity. Water blocks service vehicles from coming in and coming out. If it's raining, water can stop air travel, which is beating down too hard. It can destabilize otherwise stable structures by its movement through those structures. The final thing that water does as a form of damage is it actually damages materials that are not designed to have water in them. Most of your wallboards are called gypsum. You put water in them, they dissolve. Paper and books and documents and things like that. Pulp will absorb water. The ink will wash off. Bindings will expand and break. Papers will glue themselves together. There's really an almost infinite number of ways that water will interact with various substances to make them unuseful as to their original purposes. Now, I remember from my chemistry classes when I was in college, water technically is a very weak acid. Well, hold on. It it can also become a very weak base because it can auto-hydrogenize. Yes. It can do both. It can do both. That's why water is so destructive because Mm -hmm. it can be both of those and it changes constantly. It's constantly in flux like that. Um, It seems so innocuous. Water. Water's everywhere. And it's so necessary for our lives. Right. Well, that's the reason why it's so necessary is because it, it, it's a catalyst in our bodies and it causes, it allows, it doesn't cause things so much, but it allows things to happen. It allows these chemical processes to happen. Without that medium, it wouldn't happen and our bodies wouldn't be able to, to, to do the things that it needs to do. That very nature of it is what makes it potential hazard to materials that aren't normally immersed in it. So here you have an adventure where you want to emphasize water. Let's just go through the various things that can happen. You can be cut off. You're playing Bureau 13. There's a monster that's hunting you. You want to escape the area, but you've been cut off because of a flood that's now washed out the bridge. It's also raining. So therefore, you uh, can't hear the monster very well because your hearing has has been suppressed and all your high-tech devices are having a really hard time dealing with that hissing sound that comes from rainfall. 
if you have thermal vision, it's sort of hampered by the fact that you have a wall of water between you and what you're looking for. Right. That's true. The structures that you have placed yourself in as, as a refuge may find themselves being undercut by the water moving around it. Water coming in, uh, it could be cold, and therefore you could start suffering from hypothermia uh, caused by the water moving past your body and leaching the heat out of your 98.6 degree body, and then you are versus the 50, 60 degree water, let's say. You say you're on a lake trying to deal with something aquatic, and they start causing waves to form. Or you have an earthquake, and the lake is near that lake, and the, that lake can actually form a tsunami, even though it's not. It won't be a big one, but it'll be a, a, a big enough that it might swamp your boat or it may swamp the land, the, the shoreline, because of the waves generated by the air, by the earthquake. Like a Lake Washington is big enough for that to happen right. here in here in uh, in the Puget Sound area of the, of the Northwest. I said the largest tsunami ever recorded was recorded as a result of a large amount of ice falling into the uh, water in, in, the, in one of the Alaska sounds. It created a tsunami like 170 foot tall. Yeah, it's taller than a tree. It didn't go very far, but the point is, is that if you happen to be at ground zero when that happens, you suddenly have a wall of water falling on top of you. Yeah, and there was an eyewitness to that one. This happened in 1958, uh, Latuya, I believe. Uh, and it basically, the witnesses claim that their boat was picked up and carried over the trees into the ocean on the other side. You know, that's how tall it was. That's the thing you would not want to get caught in. Uh, they, 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 made, they made their saving throws in that one. <laughs> I was going to say, how cool would it be to have that story? I mean, it, it would kind of suck to be in that. But man, how cool would it be to be able to survive something like that? It's it's the take place I can't remember if it's here in Alaska or in Norway, or somewhere in Norway. They're looking at at a uh, at a calving uh, glacier, and this big chunk comes off, hits the water, and this mini tsunami comes up and washes all the boats that are out there watching watching the ice fall up on the shore and basically causing mayhem everywhere, and people screaming and yelling and all that sort of thing. So it's quite pot. You know, you can easily get a massive wave. Fairly easily, you know, make a, a tsunami. I think it was like 20 feet tall was the wave, but it was big and deep, unlike a, a surface wave, which isn't very deep. Tsunamis are deep waves, so there's a lot of water being moved instead of just, just surface water being moved. The big thing to worry about during flooding, and this is the one that would I think would affect the characters in gameplay the most, once you get caught up in it, you're forced to go wherever it goes. You know, fighting it is nearly impossible because we've already talked about the weight and the inertia and, and all that, you know, the temperature of it. So let's say you get caught in a tsunami or, or, or something like that or some kind of flash flood in the Midwest, you know, it's, it's not a big deal so much. Or, or, you know, or let's say you're in California and you get caught in a tsunami or something, you know, the, the temperature of the water is not so bad. But let's say you're in Alaska and that happens. Well, now you've got this, this water that's moving you that you can't resist – um, it's sucking the life out of you, I mean literally, as it draws all the heat out of your body. So not only can you not fight this thing, you have to survive long enough you know, due to hypothermia and everything for this thing to stop pulling on you to where you can grab a hold of something and get out of it or swim out of it once it loses some of its energy. You can't see what's going on because you're being moved around so quickly. And the water is frothing around you, obscuring your vision. Right, It's, and you can't hear anything, so it's just like... You are a total victim at this point to the water, and you, you just you, – it's actually best not to fight it and ride it out. 
just go with it because the harder you fight, the worse it's going to make it for you. Then you've got all these th- this debris and stuff that the water's picking up and carrying with it, and some logs and stuff could do some damage to you. But, but you know, if you watch any of those videos from from those what happened to the poor people in Japan, you know there are cars and, and telephone poles and stuff moving around. If you get hit with one of those, you're done. I mean, you literally would just be. You could be torn apart. There was currents everywhere. People were being pulled under, being pulled under car, stuck under that car, and the water is keeping you there because it's now in a corner and it's swirling around. You're stuck. You're now stuck in a pocket, uh, similar to to uh, holes for whitewater rafting, where the water, because the rock formations, basically the water spins around and you get stuck in a hole. And they said the best thing you do is just try to ride it out. You may and hopefully you come out. Well, imagine that wave of water is carrying you along. I mean, not even a wave, but let's say that this current that you're in is carrying you along, and it hits into a wall. So you hit the wall, and you start to flow down the side of the wall, and then a car smashes into you. You know, it's now from a gameplay standpoint. If you're a game master, you're probably not going to do that to the characters because, I mean, basically what you're saying is, hey, I just wanted to kill your character. But you might do it if you were playing a supers campaign, right? If you're playing a supers campaign, sure, you could do something like that. Or if you, you know, you put the person in that position, but you give them a roll to get out of it, which means that, you know, they weren't smack dab in the middle of it. The car is going to come close to smashing them unless they can, you know, maneuver their way in the water or whatever. The reality of it all is that you're kind of screwed in a big way if you get caught in a massive wave of moving water. I lived for a time in uh, Colorado Springs in Colorado. One thing they kept telling us was stay out of the arroyas. The arroyas are these dry uh, riverbeds. Uh, and they say because it may be a perfectly clear sky overhead, but it's raining in the mountains. And that water comes on down, and it's carrying boulders the size of cars sometimes down those river channels. I can see a situation where you are chasing after, you're in the southwest, going after some sort of southwest spirit or something like that, and he leads you into an arroyo. And yeah, you know, it's just thunder and lightning off in the distance, but uh, it ain't going to bother us any. Mm. <laughs> Think again, you may be in that in that downriver channel for that storm up in the mountains, yeah. and you it, don't know it until it hits you. What they refer to as a flash flood. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've seen these stickers. I mean, I was there's one arroyo that was, the channels were 20 feet deep. And when it rained, the water was topping the top of those walls. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to be there. All right, well, that's all I got on water. It's a great hazard because once it's gone, it's gone. It's not like fire that has a tendency to cr- uh, create a lot of additional hazards, like the inability to breathe the air afterwards or a lot of burns to the characters. I mean, water can carry you, and if you don't get battered by it, it actually can just relocate you uh, and, and create a, a hazard that is more functional or than actually damaging. But it's still something to be reckoned with. It will kill you if you're not careful. And if it gets really, really cold, it will kill you a couple of ways because ultimately a moving glacier is a flood. Very (laughs) slow one. (laughs) Don't forget, when we say cold, we're talking like 50 degrees. 50 degrees is enough to induce hypothermia in in most people. Right. So yeah, that's that's uh, water. Well, I mean, the only thing I think of Bruce is that um, you know you're saying once it's gone, it's usually it's usually okay. But 
uh, we did mention one thing we we probably should mention again is that it can bring toxins and stuff with it. So you could have a contaminated area. That's about the only thing that, that generally is left behind. You could find yourself on an island surrounded by water that wasn't there before. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, one of the things I want to bring up uh, um, that wasn't mentioned was that when you put yourself in the place of being in a flood, let, unless you're like really super familiar with the ter- you know, terrain that you're in, and when I say super familiar with it, I mean familiar with it in the fact that you know what the elevations are, mm-hmm. you could be running from a flooded area to higher land and then realize that you've just ran yourself into an area where the water is completely surrounding you, and if it keeps rising, you'll go under because the terrain elevation changes ridiculously all over i mean if you ever driving down a road you know some if you ever look at it from a map actually like one of these 3d maps you look at it from an angle you'll see how the terrain is just like it's hilly here not hilly there or whatever you can get surrounded by water really easy and cut off that's something that that can play into role playing the area knowledge skill or you know depending on different game system whatever game system you're playing but that's where general knowledge would be like a skill that could save the entire party's life. And, and of course, I would make it a difficult role because to know the elevations of areas would be more difficult than just knowing what you know, like what club to go to or whatever, which is what general general knowledge is generally used for. To get above the water and not get trapped, you know, is is kind of important. Uh, like I was watching that um, one of the videos from Japan with the tsunami, mm-hmm. and this guy was standing probably on the safest place in the whole village. There was this one hill that he was standing on that they were he was shooting the videos from. And you could see other areas where people might have gone for safety purposes, but he was really in the only place that was safe and that, that that could be seen from the film that he had. And it was just it was just amazing because, you know, you're thinking that, well if you're high up in this building you'll be okay. But then you start seeing the building move and then the building just goes away with the water and smashes into another building mm-hmm. and it was just it was just amazing to realize that the water coming in could actually move five story tall buildings what kind of adventures would you have during a flood i mean i think there was a christian slater movie where they actually had they were robbing some bank or something during a, a, a flood right they were trying to rob a armored vehicle if there were for example monsters that were aquatic they could use the flood as a means of going from one location to another that they normally wouldn't have access to. Like, could you see it as maybe a cult cast some spell that causes an earthquake off the shore so that the land will flood so that these sea creatures can come in and, and, and do their invasion? In other words, like, for example, maybe kind of neat to do to do this. Uh, this is just right off the cuff. Let's say, you know, the, the party gets some kind of clue from, from, you know, someone with a crystal ball or something, and they say that, you know, these sea creatures are going to come out of the water and they're going to invade the land, right? And, you know, the party's trying to stop that. So they're, they're chasing around like that. But what it turns out ultimately is that there's – a group of cultists that are trying to cause an earthquake to flood the land and that's how they're going to invade the land and then you know there's your adventure you're trying to stop these creatures from doing whatever it is that they're trying to do there is a a lake that had this that sort of the bureau knows has this creature but because it's so out of the place and so out of the way it never really worried about dealing with it only now a developer is trying is building a dam Mm. the water is going to back up and make up may actually release the creature by raising it high enough up that the water, you know, may actually start flowing off the dam where the break, that creature definitely would get released. And of course he doesn't like the dam. 
So he's going to go after it as soon as that dam's finished. <laughs> or better yet, the developer seems like some clueless, money-hungry guy. But, you know, if the party researches him and mm-hmm. finds out, it turns out he's some kind of cult leader and he's building a dam on purpose mm-hmm. to get that creature out of the lake. Yeah. Yeah, he's building an earthen dam, knowing full well that's probably not the best of all dams to build. But, you know, he's going to build an earthen dam. And when it's finished, it, it basically is going to become a highway for that thing to get out. In my adventures, other than that one where this large water god that wanted to be able to reach something that it wanted in Pittsburgh. And so it literally had to flood the area enough so that all the rivers going down river would be swollen enough that it could flow over all of locks and dams that were all along the Mississippi and the Ohio and all those things down uh, into the Gulf. It did this so they could flow easily and also as a punishment to those who had been so foolish as to mess with its item of interest. And, and so all the things that were happening were happening as a result of it wanting basically a, a, a better water conduit as it went flowing up the river. It didn't want to be impeded in any way. So it was able to create this huge uh, mass uh, you know, of, of rainfall over Pittsburgh. And everything south, or I should say actually west and then south of it, was undergoing enormous amounts of flooding as a result. So let's say, you know, this would be a cool idea for an adventure. You come out of the portal, you start exploring, big storm hits, and when it's all said and done... The portal's gone because now it's under the lake that this suit that you know this hurricane just created and now you've got to figure out where the warp is and then maybe the warp is in some area that is inhospitable or something and the adventure is is getting to that warp and and you know the team getting out of there or, or maybe you've got some other yeah. external pressure that normally that wouldn't be a big deal it's like okay we have to go find the warp not a big deal but let's say angry natives are chasing you Maybe because you showed up and here comes this hurricane and now they're now they're really mad at you because they think it's always your fault. Right, because it's your fault because you showed up and you created this hurricane. So now you're you're trying to find a warp while somebody's shooting arrows and throwing, you know, throwing spears at you. And like good team members, you drove your vehicle into that cave. Of course, it's now underwater, right. so your vehicle is going to require some maintenance after you get to or it. No, no, no. Or, or it's gone, and you have to go out through the war yeah. and walk home. Yeah. You know, there's some kind of things you can do. Like that one adventure I talked about, John, we were um, when we did that one about mm-hmm. Savage Worlds, and we were giving away some stuff, uh, the one that has a cave at the bottom of a cliff, and a storm is coming in. And mm-hmm. let's say that's, that's where we can use you know, these flooding ideas. You're trying to save a team, you know, a team member who's been injured and trapped under some rocks while the water's flooding in. Come across a Tamilan resource world. Only the resource in this world is drinking water. Mm. And what they've done is that they have dammed not just the Mississippi River, they've dammed the entire Mississippi River Valley. The whole 1,000 miles is now basically a giant lake. The trouble is no one's been there for, what, uh, at least 2,000 years now or however long it's been. And that dam's starting to show us the need of maintenance. And guess where you're standing? Right. Awful tall dam. (laughs) Or you found it shortly after some Mellers have found it and they've decided to flood everybody downriver of that thing. It could, be a, it could be a small community living here in the shadow of the giant thousand-meter-tall dam. Right. Or it could be those French pirates <laughs> that you've just recently made friends with and realized, hey, they're not such bad people after all. 
you know, mm-hmm. but their whole group of people is getting ready to be wiped out because this, you know, this dam is about to, to fall apart. And it could be the, it could be your guys' self-imposed mission to save them from from drowning from this and, thing. Yeah, yeah, from themselves. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite situation like that is where you have a glacier. It's been sitting at the end of the valley for who knows how long, and you go to the other end of the glacier and you realize there's a there's a huge lake there, even an ocean. And all it takes is for it to just get a little bit warmer. That's like uh, Ice Age, uh, the third one. Yeah, yeah. That's a good movie, though. I, I haven't actually seen that movie, but yes, I I can I can believe that. Where all of a sudden that that ice breaks. Yeah, and then you've got this. Not only is it a wave of water, but it's going to be a wave of frozen ice mixed in with it. So you've got these huge, razor-sharp shards of ice also being swept along by this wall of water coming towards your little village. And you're like, wow, this thing happens, and we'll never find this portal. So, so guys, do we have enough for a show, you think? Or oh, do yeah. you want to talk, oh, yeah. talk about space stuff a little bit at all? If you like. All right. Let's, let's do it quick. All right, so another type of disaster, and we'll go over this quickly because, uh, quite honestly, they, they're really it's, – it's the secondary effects. It doesn't scale very well either. You know, either you air things dead or, it, or you survive and it wasn't that big, big a deal. Right. <laughs> but but it, it needs to be mentioned because somebody might want to use it. So you've got, you got your space disasters, you know, things, you know, that which tries to kill us from outer space. And the first one, and everybody's, you know, familiar with this, is, is you know, an, an asteroid hitting the Earth. Or wait a minute, what's the term? Because there's meteors, meteorites. Uh... A meteor is what is in outer space. Once right. it hits the atmosphere, it's called a meteorite. That's the only difference. Right, okay. A meteorite hits the earth, boom, it, you know, we all know it creates a big explosion and blah, blah, blah. And if they're big enough, that it's a world-ending event. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about those things that destroy all life on earth. We're talking about the things that hit and they do a lot of damage and the characters have to deal with them. This only lasts a few minutes. It's not a big deal if you survive. I mean, it is a big deal. It's not going to be a big, long event. It's going to happen and it's going to be done. The secondary effects is what you have to worry about. You're going to have fires. You could, you could have earthquakes. You could have a tsunami. Um, so, so basically, if you're going to use meteors and you're not going to hit people with them, that's going to be the backdrop. And then you're going to use one of our other disasters, depending on whatever is the most appropriate. So if the party is on the coast, you know, it's a good time to use our, our flooding rules. Meteor hits the water, and now you have a flooding situation. Or... Meteorite hits a city, and now you have a fire situation. Now, do you guys, I mean, do you think earthquake is feasible for a non, like, life-ending meteorite? Uh, if it hits in the right spot. Think about it. Say you have a 100-foot meteor, and it impacts near the, in California near the San Andreas. That's a megaton impact. Right. That might trigger some uh, aftershocks in the in in the uh, various faults in that area. Okay, so it's so it's sure. possible. All right, so or, or you could even have, um, you know, if you want to talk about throwing the dice, uh, a meteorite hits a volcano that's kind of active, and makes it active. I mean, yeah, that's a one in a million shot, but whatever, sure. 
Oh, it impacts it to Yellowstone, which is a, which is a super volcano. But that's you know a whole nother scene altogether. We're not talking point. about world-ending events. So a meteorite is basically going to be the catalyst for one of the other disasters we talked about. It'll be the backdrop for it. Um, another one is you know people talk about solar flares a lot, and I think people are misled on solar flares. When a solar flare hits the Earth, it doesn't fry anybody or do anything like that. It basically shuts down electronics. So you're you're talking about the worst thing it's going to do is black out everything. So you could lose, you know, the, the whole city could lose power. You could lose all satellite communication and all that kind of stuff. So pretty much what you're dealing with is the chaos of losing all the things that we take for granted in modern day society. So you're essentially in a potential riot situation or something like that. So that's, you know, we, we didn't go over what a blackout would be like. Um, that's not really a disaster so much. But, um, you know, basically you got chaos. You got people doing whatever they want for the most part. And the, and the National Guard shows up. Excuse me. I mean, blackouts. I mean, we do know that at least one blackout that was caused by a solar flare. And that was when it took out a good portion of Canada and Quebec. They basically said with a big pro- with a mass solar ejection, um, the best thing to do. And there actually was a wonderful documentary about this on on Discovery, where they decided the best thing to do was to shut down all the power in New York City to save their transformers. So basically, a solar flare is not going to fry the Earth. What it's going to do is going to shut down electronics. Yeah. That's what you're going to have. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just basically going to lead to chaos. We're not going to be burned to death. Now, if you want to get burned to death, you want a gamma ray burst. <laughs> and if, if you're, but that's more right, or less fatal. I mean, that's that's it. End of world. <laughs> but you know what? We could get clipped with a gamma ray burst. We could just kind of get barely hit with it. That's possible. So if you're going to do something like that, if you really feel so inclined, I would stay away from this. But just real quick, we'll go over it. A, a gamma ray burst is essentially going to fry anything it hits. So if you wanted to use it, I would say it hits part of the Earth, maybe, mm, you know, maybe where the party is. You know, the moon is in between the gamma ray burst and where they are. So you know, uh, they're in the moon shadow. Yeah, yeah, you're the, saying the moon happens to be in the right right spot, so that so that the moon actually provides a right. shadow, and it's it's going to provide quite a bit of protection to the Earth because of you know like angles and stuff like that. But um, in that case, what you're going to have is you're going to have you know you know a portion of the atmosphere being cooked off, our magnetic field being screwed up. Um, anyone outside of that shadow is so that's probably going to be a fringe worthy thing. You're not going to want to do that in Bureau 13, yeah. and people are probably going to want to get off the planet pretty soon. Well, also remember, the moon's only going to provide protection while it's in place. going to make life on Earth pretty much hell because you're going to have super storms and stuff because you're going to have different variations in temperatures and stuff. So you're going to have hurricanes rolling through and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, it's basically going to lead to you want to get off the planet soon. As far as we know, there's, <laughs> there's no gamma ray bursts yeah. that are going to hit us anytime soon. But yeah. if you're playing Fringeworthy, hey, you're on a different Earth, it, totally different rules. Uh, you know, I can't really think of any other space events that you'd really have to worry about. If you want to talk about truly fantasy-type events, the uh, Poole Anderson book Brainwave said that there was this gigantic field that stretched across the galaxy 
our planet, our species developed within that field, and it was an intelligence-inhibiting field. And as a result, when we came out of the field, suddenly we had a huge jump in intelligence. Hmm. Suddenly everything around us that had a brain suddenly became enormously more intelligent, with us proportionally even more so. And the havoc that that caused in the world was truly transforming. Huh. Rogue planets. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about when worlds collide, yeah. where a basically a Jupiter-sized planet and its lone moon pass through the solar system. The moon gets peeled off and turns into a Bronson Beta. Well, Bronson Alpha is more or less KOs the Earth, wipes it right out. That's another potential right there for fringe-worthy. Uh... Yeah. Well, you know, John, just so people are not following the science community, I'm you know the way you and mm-hmm. I do. Um, mm-hmm. what they have found is that there are quite potentially more rogue planets out there than there are stars. Because a lot of those rogue planets are tossed out during planetary formation. Right. A large Jupiter-sized planet forms the hour system and then moves right to the center near its sun. In the process, tosses all the planets out along the way. It's, it's funny how gravity works like that. Mm-hmm. Apparently, things get tossed out of their solar systems all the time. Neptune and I mean, Uranus... We're closer in and in opposite order. A resonance feature with Saturn and Jupiter, and they change places. Right. Would that be due to centrifugal force then, maybe? No, orbital resonance. They kept being pulled on by Jupiter and Saturn and sped them up and pushed them in the outer system. Whenever the two passed them, they gave them a kick. Gravity is mm. tricky like that, man. Yeah. yeah. It can pull things in and push things out. Just- What's the line from the first episode of the Tech live action? Gravity is a harsh mistress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like the sun. There, there are times when I'm like, I'll be outside and it's like super hot. And I'm just like, sun, I love you, but I hate you. You bring life, but you bring death. The ultimate love-hate relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There's one right there. Some guy makes a device that will change the rate at which fusion occurs in the sun. So what happens? Go straight into red giant phase, dude. No, 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 no. That we're getting we're getting out of our uh, out of our lane there because that because that's it. It's done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nobody left at that. We want to live. <laughs> I, I can't think of any other space disaster. I mean, other than alien invasion, but that doesn't fit our topic. Right. When Comet Haley came by back in the 1920s, I think it was. Not the last time, but the time before that, they had gotten a spectrum of its tail, and they saw, oh, it was full of things like formaldehyde and, and other various poisonous chemicals. So there was this real fear amongst the folks that when they passed the tail, they, the world would get gassed. Well, this is an alternate place where that's going to happen. That's not inconceivable. Yeah. That's quite conceivable. If you had a large comet pass through, and let's say it was frozen ammonium, and we passed through a tail of a boatload of ammonium, what would that do to our atmosphere? You know, I mean, it would become quite, quite nasty. Well, it'd be in the upper atmosphere, but yeah, ammonium is is a uh, is heavier, so it actually would start dropping yeah. down. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah, that could be yeah, bad. So that's, yeah, you, you you want to live in those high rises and in, in the higher higher elevations at that point, <laughs> you know things like that. Uh, I'm trying to think what other disasters. I mean, besides solar flares. Uh, oh wait a second, then the air went back to the sun again. It goes in. The sun goes. And here's a disaster. It takes a while to happen though. The sun goes into a cool period like it did during the Maunder minimum, which they're talking about. We might be heading towards. Yeah, when there's a lot of sunspots on the sun, the sun's hotter. 
And when there's fewer sunspots, the sun's cooler. We just actually went through a period where there were no sunspots for a fairly long period of time. Longer, longer than it should so, have been. Yeah. We're probably going to be fine. But, you know, on an alternate Earth or – Yeah, just throw another log in a fire. Yeah. Right, or, <laughs> or when you have a some kind of sorcerer in, you know, Brier 13 who's, you know, managed to work some really powerful magics, you know. Yeah. You, you could have an Ice Age set in. Um, mm-hmm. or maybe it'd be the you know that that's where the party comes in and they need to like you know kickstart the sun, you know not not so much in the movie kind of way but like in the um, you know from a magical standpoint. Yeah, um, the sun and it's also Apollo. It's uh, who else is it? Uh, the various sun gods. It's Ra. You know, so you you have to remember in Bureau Thirteen, all stories are true. So not only is the sun a large ball of burning hydrogen gas, it's also Ra. Right. It's also a dragon egg. It's also a dragon egg. You know, it's also many things. Right. Another game that <laughs> space type disasters would play into would be Cursion. Right. Where yep. you might deal with these things. Of course, in the Ardana New, a lot of times radiation, you would be saved due to the various fields, but you would deal with those type of disasters more in that game due to traveling throughout the galaxy. Yeah, actually, that's you know true. what? That's a, that's a good point. I mean, for the space disaster, let's talk about that just for real quick. Um, uh, you you go to a world and you're doing some trading things that are go- you know you're doing some trading for your ship, trying to get supplies, and uh, you could get caught up in one of these disasters really quick. You know? Oh, the Ardana News a tug. So what happens? They they, they come back and they all of a sudden. There's an asteroid. It's going to hit us. Well, uh, when? Uh, about 10 years, but it's going to hit us because we have no way of moving it. You look at the Ardana New, it's a tug. We might be able to do something about that. <laughs> or, or, you know, something else. You, you land on the planet and yeah. you're doing your trading and a massive solar flare hits. And mm. all communications are wiped out. You can't contact the ship. You could be grounded. Um, maybe circuit, oh, circuits on your ship have all shorted out because you left it running because you didn't know it was going to happen. Remember, you get chipped. So you come back to your dad new and it refuses to recognize you because your chip got burned Oh, out. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so only the guys who stayed on board can still do things. So it's up to them to figure out. Of course, they're the ones who probably don't know how to use the chipping mechanism on board the ship. You go, okay, open up. No, not going to open up. Sorry. <laughs> you walk through that little the the field and pong. Ow! What the? <laughs> yeah, you can't come in. You we don't recognize you. Okay, she does. Okay, our dad who does recognize you because you, you get the chip and she's angry at you right now, so she ain't gonna let you in. But anyway, <laughs> you know. But the things like that. I mean, uh, various rescue missions. I mean, if you want to talk about rescue missions, then there you. you you, you're in space, so yeah, there's rescue missions. Someone got a ship. A ship got hulled by a by a meteorite, size of your pinky. Mm-hmm. That's all it needs. Do a rescue at that point. Oh man, you know what? Now I didn't even think of this, but now that you bring in Cursion, you bring in FTL, space disasters. You don't have to be on a planet. You have to think of space disasters in space. So if you're in space and you get hit with a solar flare, that's a whole different thing than being on a planet. 
Because on a planet, you've got the magnetic field to protect you from all those, you know, alpha particles and gamma particles and such, you know, those things that that aren't nasty on Earth, but in space, they're really nasty. You get hit with that sex change radiation burst and (laughs) all kinds of things happen. Wow. You you get hit by cosmic rays and when you burst into flame, everyone starts stretching, everyone turns invisible. You never know. Yeah. (laughs) Let's keep this to realistic. Uh, for game, for, for game. Well, well, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, well, now, now remember, incursion takes place in the Bureau Thirteen universe, so we actually can be less realistic in that. I'm one. just saying, but but for game purposes, let's. But for like an FTL, FTL is definitely more hard science fiction. So yeah, some some of those things. There's a story called the Cold Equations, where basically it may turn out yes, there's a disaster. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, I'm sorry. You don't have enough fuel to get out there to rescue those guys. Otherwise, you end up stuck out there yourself. Well, what I was thinking is, is uh, yeah. you know, you see this in, in several movies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was really done well in Pitch Black. It was done in, was it Mission to Mars? But the micrometeorites, oh, yeah. they can be really, oh, yeah. really devastating. But it can also lead to some really good adventure ideas and such. So let's say, you know, you're an FTL you're doing your thing and let's say it's just a standard mission you start the party out running a normal mission and everything's cool and it's easy to do matter of fact the players are probably getting a little nervous because everything's going too easy and uh that's when you hit the ship with micrometeorites and everything goes to hell you know that's where the character who is the engineer actually begins to excel to be the hero i mean that that'd be a really good time to take a character Mm -hmm. who normally doesn't get the forefront and they give him the forefront. Yeah. yeah. yeah you don't need, you need to hull the ship. All you need is a meteorite to, say, strike the engine. Sure, sure. Or strike strike some, some other part of the en- ship. Because uh, there's parts of the ships that are going to be in vacuum all the time, but they still don't like being hit by uh, rocks traveling at uh, 1,000 kilometers a second. You know, nobody likes that. Well, or think about this. Let's say the, um, the pilot is an NPC, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he's sitting in his seat. And he gets taken out by a micrometeorite. Now you have to control the ship from engineering through the auxiliary controls. The engineer or the whoever's playing the co-pilot or any other character with piloting or whatever has to take over to get them, I don't know, out of some well, gravity well that they've drifted in. Most of your ship is being run by computers anyway. Uh, right, so the computer core but, gets hit too. But on uh, a shuttlecraft, however, a shuttlecraft, that's, more, that's probably more likely, you know, I'm coming in for a landing, and that's when you get pulled. Right. The cockpit is basically a vacuum at this point, and you're all back in the passenger cabin. you got to fly the ship now right. to the ground. That's a more likely scenario, because most likely, in most cases, when you're on board a ship going through space, Sir Isaac Newton's doing most of the flying at that point. Sure. Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Reentry is always the bad time. That's when you have disasters happen. That's when that loose tile comes off, and that's what did in the Columbia. Uh-huh. You know, and a hole in his heat shield. That's never good. When the Russian cosmonauts that came down, it was a leak, and they died before they landed from asphyxiation. You know, reentry is the bad time because you're going from one environment to another environment, and that always involves a certain amount of turbulence. Right. So yeah, that's the worst time to run into that nut. That little nut that, that someone didn't put on their on their spacecraft and it came off and it's in orbit. It hits your windscreen of your shuttlecraft at uh, 1,000 kilometers a second. Now you got to fly this shuttlecraft using a laptop plugged into the computer system and pray the computers weren't taken out in the, taken out in the process. Right. That's where, in, in Savage <laughs> World's term, the guy who's the MacGyver 
It's the guy who saves mm-hmm. the day because, you know, he takes his PDA and runs a ship off of it. I have this little space flight app. I got, I'm bored here. Right. I can think I can fly this ship. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Saving the day using a Microsoft Flight Simulator. Right. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh wait, it has to rebuild. Oh, I need an update. For yeah. example, in Savage Worlds, you know, if that's what you had, you know, you can make that yep. jury rig roll and you, you make yep. it work. That's the the yeah. trappings of it, you know. You yeah, yeah. you would just do yeah. it and say, "Hey, yeah." Okay. I would make I would make some rolls at that point, see how well they do it. Sure, you can make the connection, but how good a pilot are you? And are you the one who actually understands how to use those controls? You just put together with a little app builder and fifteen minutes of sweat, blood, and tears. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and I want to throw it out there just just because I'm a big fan and and I like to promote this. Pitch Black literally had, I think, the best. Uh, crash landing scene for a movie ever. They get hit with mi- micrometeorites and they wind up having to crash land. And I really think it was done better than anything I've ever seen. Even better than the Jupiter Two. Jupiter Two. And lost in space. It went through a planet. Yeah. No. 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 The original when it was always flying right over the mountains and then hitting ch- bits as going bang from mountaintop to mountaintop no. until it finally came sliding to a halt. No. Why are you made out? You're made out of foot thick titanium plate to do that. No. No. I, I still think the, <laughs> the way they did it in Pitch Black was better. It was just it was just really cool. All the stuff she was going through trying to land that ship and and I think it was very well thought out. And, you know, I'm not like a big fan of the first three Star Wars movies, but the one where they, they crash land the ship, was that the third one? Yeah, the one with General Grievous. Oh, at the beginning of uh, episode three, yeah. That was actually very well done, too. I think Pitch Black was better, but I still think that was actually very well done. Actually, I did that during my travel campaign. Luckily, they were, they were carrying an interstellar harvester, which included the ability to shrink wrap stuff. So they ended up shrink wrapping their ship to get off the planet. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, the, the point of what I'm saying is, is that, you know, micrometeorites, that there's an example of a way to use micrometeorites in an adventure. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in the Star Wars. That could be what had, had led to that ship having to crash land like that. Oh, yeah. Mission to Mars, like you said, yeah. Mission to Mars had that. Uh, it was a mainstay of all the old uh, 50s sci-fi, you, you, all this foil or plaster of Paris asteroids they drop out of camera. You know? In reality, you know, I mean, it's so widely used because it is actually quite likely. More likely in, in low Earth orbit to run into something that came off a satellite or uh, someone drops, you know, I hate to, they, they drop a lot of stuff up there. Yes, they do. There's you a know, lot of garbage in space. Yeah, so you can run into a bolt, a nut, a panel off of a spaceship. A paint fleck can do lots of damage. You know, just to put it in perspective is because those things are traveling at like 10,000 miles an hour. Because they have to be. Because if they weren't, they wouldn't be in orbit. They would be on – they would be burned up in the atmosphere, right? So that's how fast they're moving. So if you're not moving in the same direction they are, let's say you're moving in the opposite direction or you hit them perpendicular, they're striking you at 10,000 miles an hour. Yeah. Now, if you're in orbit with them, then it's not a big deal because if you're moving 10,000 miles an hour and they're moving 10,000 miles an hour, you know, the collision is, you know, nothing. But let's mm-hmm. say you're moving in the opposite direction or, you, like you said, you're coming in for a landing and they strike you in the side. Well, they've just struck you at 10,000 miles an hour. And I'm sorry, but a stainless steel bolt 
or a titanium bolt hitting you at 10,000 miles an hour is going to tear a hole through most things. Yeah, kinetic energy impacts are nasty. 11 kilometers a second, an object will do its weight equivalent in TNT, mm-hmm. an impact. Oh. Yes. oh, it's no joke. It's, it's, it's really, it's no joke. <laughs> so, yes, you can easily get up into the megaton range, or at least the kiloton range, for, for items. <laughs> Which, generally, so. they're not going to be doing that much damage. They're really just going to punch a hole through you. Well, it depends what it's made out of. If it's made out of titanium, yeah, it'll probably go straight through you. It's made out of styrofoam. Weighs a kilogram. It's moving at uh, a thousand kilometers a second. It'll make a hole the size of the block when it, when it hits. It'll make the hole the size of the plasma cloud as it exits the other side. So energy <laughs> has to go somewhere. Yeah. So. So yeah, it, it's bad news when those when that happens. Just from a gaming standpoint, you don't even have to worry about the dice. You just, as a game yeah. master, you just say this is mm-hmm. what happened. You don't even have to say what hit you. Something hit you, and it did this because it's yeah. Really, honestly, you're talking about all kinds of math, and you know, forget all that. Determine the effect you want to happen to the players. In other words, they're coming in for a landing or, or whatever the adventure needs. You need them to have to crash land on that planet. So you just say, hey. Something hit you, and this is what it did. So we're just trying to say you can be justified in having anything happen because that's how much damage this stuff can do. It can do enough damage that whatever you need to happen, you just say it happened. If it needed to be less damage, it just means the thing was smaller. It goes back to the principle of where we were talking previously about lava, and when I, I believe I was talking about how lava was. Well, they are well, 20D damage. No, you get in lava, you're gone. It, it's not a matter of dice at that point. It's the same principle with a ship getting hit with another bolt going at what? What you say, eleven thousand feet per second or whatever? Oh, I'm sorry, I got the numbers wrong. It's three kilometers a second. Okay, three, three kilometers a second delivers kinetic energy equal to its mass in TNT. It's really fast and really deadly. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. It does whatever you need it to do. You want to blow off the back end of the spaceship? Not a problem. Mm-hmm. And you can do it with a soda can. Right, exactly. Whatever you need to happen, happens. That's space damage, space disasters. Yeah. And I think uh, we're pretty much done with all these kind of disasters. And I, if we keep going in the, the order we're going in, the next one's going to be on man-made disasters. What man was not meant to do or know, is that what you're talking about? That's true. Like, we're talking pandemic stuff. Where our reach out stretches our grasp. Yes. And we're going to get into some fun stuff on that one. Yeah. Thanks for listening to us talk about all the terrible things that your GM can do to you and ruin your campaign if you're not careful. <laughs> yep, that's our job. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, if we don't give you the tools, then you can't ever learn. Then we're not really stretching you to the limits, which is what this podcast has always been about. If you want awesome, you got to basically bring it to the table, and these things can bring the awesome to your table. Nothing brings awesome to a game like nature, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and don't forget... When you do disasters, you need to do it right because you can't do them that often or it loses credibility. Disasters only happen once in a great while. You know, you may only run one adventure that has a disaster in it. So if you're going to do it, do it up. Just remember, nature's a mother. Yeah. <laughs> and she's not that kind, huggy-feely mother. You never fool Mother Nature, which you can encounter in Bureau 13. <laughs> this is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them.
This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. This is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.